0: Hi, this is Mike Yagley. And this is Evan Gertner. And this is Grace on Tap. And normally on an episode, we feature a a new beer that's near to us, dear to our hearts, from a Michigan brewery. The last episode on the Heidelberg Disputation was a little short, so we didn't finish our Atwater Brewery Hop Appeal beer. So we're still featuring that same beer because starting a new one at this point would just make this podcast a little too sloppy so we're we're featuring again the Atwater brewery hop appeal okay and and so the
1: way this works we we have an episode we'll, we'll take a a document and Lutheran uh, Reformation era document and we we talk about the history behind it the people behind it uh, and we talk about some of the theology that's behind
0: it and then we hoped through that conversation, that as a listener, you'll be able to bring some intersection to your own con- contemporary life. Come to that point where history and theology and conversation all to come together to produce something new in your mind. Now, today's discussion is about the Heidelberg Disputation. And the Heidelberg Disputation, the background
1: of the Heidelberg Disputation, it really came out of the 95 Theses. 95
0: Theses hit like a, a, an atom bomb in, in medieval Europe. Right, and so Johann von Staupitz has been tasked to bring this guy under order. The Pope tells,
1: uh, uh, basically through regular channels, he tells Johann von Staupitz, "Hey, you know, get this guy to shut up." So Staupitz does something a little unusual, though. He he doesn't tell Luther to shut up. He tells Luther, "Hey, why don't you explain yourself?" Right, and so we'll we'll have uh, we're having this regular meeting uh, in Heidelberg with the Augustinian Order. Why don't you come and you can talk
0: about a few things? And so, what do you want to talk so about? So, the topic that's defined for this disputation is sin, free will, and grace. It's going to take place April, May, fifteen, eighteen. Okay. So, so Luther comes, and you know Staupitz is expecting this to clear the air, and it did anything but. It brought a new focus to the work of Christ on the cross in a way that helped everybody understand why Luther had been talking about indulgences in the first place. It brings up issues of the cross, the authority of scripture, and it also helps us understand Luther's attack not just on an indulgence, but on the very system of theology that built the possibility for an indulgence to be on the table.
1: And that is the the scholastic theology of the Middle Ages, right? Right. That that it's really started when when uh, when the when the Islam introduced uh, um, uh, Aristotle reintroduced Aristotle to the West and and it really I mean <laughs> granted you know thank goodness for, for the reintroduction of Aristotle into the West because it, it, it did open it really helped you know tighten up a lot of the thinking and obviously the, the Middle Ages philosophers
0: and theologians were very excited about this but they went a little bit too far. Right? Yeah, so scholasticism is looking at the role of a scholar, uh, reason and logic, and that role that all of that has in relationship to God, and and uh, understanding a person has about who God is and who they are, and how you can understand that. How can you appropriate a relationship with God? Can you do it through logic? Can you, you reason your way into a relationship with God? Because indeed, if God has created reason, then reason must be a way to understand God.
1: And, and it really the you know at the end of the day, it's the the, the way it worked was that it put God under reason. Or at least that's that's certainly the way Luther looked at it. Was that God became a a, a slave to reason,
0: and and that's not an appropriate uh, view of God. So the Heidelberg Disputation is using a method that is popular in the scholastic system, and that is debate. And so the scholastic method of approaching a problem includes disputation. It includes a debate where a series of theses have been proposed, and then there's going to be a conversation about them. And that's what's happening at the Heidelberg Disputation. Martin Luther has written some theses, many of them about theological issues, some of them just really about philosophy that almost seem, for us theologians now, out of context. But in Luther's time, there was a tight integration in the Department of Biblical Studies with both theology and philosophy. Okay, so...
1: So now Luther comes in and, and he wants to really you know take some, some wind out of the sails of scholastic theology. And he's going to do that by showing that God is paradoxical, that God is not driven. He is not a slave to reason, that God is able to work on really have this, this paradoxical tension and, and God can maintain it even though we have trouble understanding it.
0: The language of God. The, the, the language in which God speaks to us through grace and the cross is not going to be understood through the human mind. It is only understood uh, as the Holy Spirit works upon us in such a way that we can see God present among the weak and the broken and the suffering. When we can see the glory of God revealed in Christ on the cross as broken as he is, That's when we start to see this new language of God that Martin Luther is introducing. You know, today when people talk about the language of God, maybe they have in mind some charismatic thing where someone is speaking some indecipherable language that just fills a a person's mind with, uh, I don't know, almost like a polyjuice of notions. But for Luther, when he's talking about the theology of the cross, his language of God is not supposed to be indescribable. It's supposed to be witnessed.
1: So, so let's, let's give an example. You, you, you know, you, the, the one paradox that, that Luther brings forward in the way God does things is uh, in, in one, of the, one of the disputations, one of the theses that he brings forward in the, in the Heidelberg Disputation, is he says, Alth- Although the works of God are always unattractive and appear evil, Nevertheless, really eternal merits, and I think he's really got in mind there uh, Christ on the cross, right? Where where a human looking at this thinks, "Oh my, you know, oh my God, this is this is evil incarnate that that we're dealing with." Here.
0: We would take a rabbi, we would take a teacher, we would take someone who had been able to walk and do miracles that. We would find him at the cross. This is just evil at work in this world, right? And and it's not;
1: it's God at work in the world. So so this is this is a, a fundamental paradox that Luther points out that doesn't work with with the the logic of scholasticism, at least you know the Middle Ages, medieval
0: scholasticism. Is that an, is that an accurate statement? Yeah. So for Luther, he's. He, He's not going to use the, the language as much of scholasticism, though. He's going to talk about uh, a framework that before people didn't use. And he introduces new words here. And for us, they, they just may make uh, sense, though. I think, and that is a theology of cross versus a theology of glory. And so for Luther, he sets up an argument uh, that looks at the cross. Or looks at glory, and he says that when we look at that thing which we would not want to call anything glorious, and we call it what it is, we call it a thing of suffering, we call it a thing of shame, when we finally call it what it is, maybe we can also start to see what God is doing through it.
1: Right, right. And that's getting into, uh, I forget which number of theses it was, where he he actually, but we'll we'll touch on that in a minute. Calling a thin what it is, yeah, a thin yeah, a thing. Yeah. yeah, now now let's let's take a step back, and I would like to sort of uh, highlight these paradoxes a little bit more because I think the 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 paradoxes that Luther brings up, I, I I think that a lot of people, Christians, atheist, agnostic, you know, they they come into the world and they have that same view. That that Luther is fighting against the the same view of the Scholastics, right? Where if something appears awful, then it is not a work of God. If something appears wonderful, then it is a work of God, right? And and so like there's the the, the paradox of the cross is the first one he brings up, or it's uh, one of the ones he brings up. Another one is that although the works of man always seem attractive and good, they are nevertheless uh, nevertheless likely to be mortal sins. This is getting into that whole, you know, hey, I did something good. I helped my neighbor. I did blah, blah, blah. I did the, you know, uh, and, and, and so Luther is saying That's, that, that is likely
0: a mortal sin. Why, why does he go there? Because he's, he's thinking that the ethical works, the works of creation, those things that we would do thinking that they would contribute towards our path to God. Okay. That those are mortal sins. When any time we look to our own acts, our own good works, As means to get closer to God, we in fact have pushed ourselves further away from God. Because when we use our own means, our own works, our own efforts to get closer to God. We're no longer getting closer to God. We're getting closer to our own vanity. So this is,
1: this is fundamentally, uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but the, you know, in, in contrast to the, theolo- Luther talks about the theology of the cross in the Heidelberg Disputation, and he contrasts it to something called the theology of glory. Right. Mm-hmm. And the theology of glory is what we're talking about right now. This idea that, hey, I did some good works. I'm a pretty good guy. I got a little bit closer to God. I'm working my way you know, up that up the ladder. Right. And, and Luther says that is a theology of glory and that is a mortal sin. That's a that is likely he used the word likely a mortal sin
0: to look to where God is present in this world um, helps understand helps lead us to know where to be certain. And so if I look to God and my works, or if I look to God and my wealth, or if I look to the certainty that God is present because everything is going right for me, the question is, does that really bring you certainty? And, and for Luther, ultimately certainty, confidence in a relationship with God could not be found through my own works or, th- or however full my storehouse of barns are with the treasures of this world. If you ever look to the things that you have done with your own hands to find confidence that God is present in your life, you will always come to a certain point of doubt. Okay. So, so the, the, When Luther is pulling all this
1: together, right, the the critical thesis is the 21st thesis, And that's the one where he says, A theology of glory calls evil good and good evil.
0: A theology of the cross calls a thing what it actually is. And so for Luther, he wanted to get rid of ambiguity. He wanted to get rid of doubt. He wanted to help a person to say, All right, let's be honest how life works. Life is filled with suffering. And if we start to say God is present when you have finally escaped suffering, we leave a lot of people in danger. Right. And, and even worse, I mean, and we see this in today's day and age, right? It, the, it's the word, faith move, the word faith movement, I think it's called. And it, Joel Osteen and Kreefold Dollar and some of these other proponents of it are the notion that all you have to do is start to think positively. Right and this and is gloriously
1: this is this is the exact opposite that is that is full blown you know theology of glory right where where there's this idea that, hey, you do good, good things come to you. It's, it's almost like a karma type way of, you know, or, or, or you know, pray to God, he'll, he'll shower you with gifts. You know, that's, Luther is saying that is the exact opposite of the way God actually works.
0: Luther really hoped that we would not have to speculate about where God is found. That we wouldn't have to guess, but that we could have confidence And and now everyone would love to have confidence where God is. And so what is surprising about where Luther roots confidence is he he roots it in suffering. And and this is really the shocking thing, the paradox, is for Luther, let's get rid of speculation, let's get rid of doubt, and let's start being honest with what life is like. It's filled with suffering. And so if we're going to be honest about what life is like, that it's filled with suffering, then there must be a way to find God in that suffering. Because if, if God is present in this world... And really, we must trust that God is present in this world. Then somehow he must be present in the midst of suffering.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so this is really the foundation. This is really the the, 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 the critical point in the the theology of the cross. So let's let's take a minute now. And I mean, theology is a word we throw around a lot around here, right? And, and I'm not sure everybody is really versed on that specific word. Because, when, when I, I mean, people will think the, theology is for theologians, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they think uh, theology is, is some sort of academic pursuit that, uh, that really doesn't affect
0: me. But that's, that's not the way it is, right? Well, so theology itself is a word that is made up of two parts. The first one, theos, is the word for God. Uh, Yeah, all right, we get to drink because I use some uh, Latin and Greek in in this podcast. Uh, So, Theos, in the next one, the Logos. Um, Logos is a Greek word that means word. Uh, Think of John 1, 1, and and that whole first chapter of John, the word of God was with God, the word of God was God, the word, the word, the word is not just a word. Logos in the the Greek philosophical system describes the whole kind of framework or reason, uh, the Okay, so if you think of logos as not just a word, think of it as the map upon which everything else makes sense.
1: Okay, so so for, for the regular folks, right, when, when, when the regular folks say the word theology, right, when... when, when it probably means study of God. Right, or, or any time our, our thoughts intersect God, mm-hmm. right? So, so uh, uh, you know, my, uh, th- there's a death in the family, right? We wonder about you know the thing, the eternal things, right? That's an intersection. And that's theology. That's theology. Uh, you 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 know some people swear, right? They that is they 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 bring God's wrath down. They swear and you know wish God's wrath down on some some person. That is an intersection with theology. I mean that these are very common. You know, anytime there is whether they realize it or not. You know, there is a moment of theology that's happened, whether it's good theology or bad theology, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's theology. It's an intersection of our lives, of our thoughts with that of God.
0: And so if God can intersect with our life, if God comes to that crossing point of our lives and says, I am here, is that only happening when everything goes right? Is God present only when um, today I'm healthy? Is God only present when today I made money? Is God present only today when my house is is not going to burn down, or is God also present when I suffer? Is God also present when I hurt? Is God present when I am in pain? Well, and that's that is you know this is the the theology of the cross, right?
1: And and now now what, at least my understanding of the theology of the cross is that when when we consider the cross right as 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 modern folks looking back and into history and into our lives right and we encounter the cross um it, it the first thing at least my understanding of Luther is that we recognize that we are contributors we are participants in the cross and we aren't the good guys we're not the ones with the white hats you know, they're making things right, you know, through the cross. This is, mm-hmm. this is foreign to us. We are actually, when, when we are participants, we are not on the, good, the side of the good guys. We are the ones that are causing this to
0: happen, Yeah, right? we are the, the, the people carrying the hammer and striking down on the nail. We are sinners. So here's a quote to help kind of understand, as we start to think about, Luther said that sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. Now, this quote gets us into that idea of why can the cross ever be attractive? Why can what Christ is doing in that cross be something that we long for? And that's because he loves us. And that's a,
1: that's a, his, his, his sacrifice
0: on the cross, his work on the cross, is a proclamation of his love for us. And this then gives us a window into how can God be present in the midst of our own suffering, because he suffered for us in the cross.
1: Now, one of the things Gerhard Forde, you know, one of the big resources, at least I, I looked at here, was, was Gerhard Forde's uh, book on, on the theology of the cross. And, and he makes it very clear that we need to recognize that the cross is where... You know, is absolutely where God chose to save us from sin. Right? That's 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 the location that 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 God chose is on the cross, and that's part of the theology of the cross. But that is second, and and Forte makes it very clear we have to keep that second to the the first part, which is that we are participants. So so you don't want to lose the bite of okay, yeah, we we participated. We were the ones with the hammer. We were the ones that caused this. But then also that, that you know, there's the second part, which is part of this tension that God is
0: saving us through, the, even though we 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 are the cause of the, the cross. So why are we attractive to Jesus? In the theology of the cross says, in fact, that there's no reason we should be attractive. We are sinners. The reason we are attractive is simply because we're loved. And so when Christ is on that cross, why do we celebrate the cross? And it's not because we have somehow earned what Christ is giving to us on that cross. We entirely are the the ones that have brought that judgment upon us. And so, why why does he love me in such a way? There is no attraction in me. There's no glory in me. There's no work I've done to be able to achieve that gift. There's nothing that in view of the faith that I would have that you know, nothing like that. It's entirely and simply grace. And so the theology of the cross looks at the ugliness of the world and says God can be here.
1: So, so in the theology of the cross, and, and we probably, usually when people talk about the theology of the cross, they, they, they put it in contrast to the theology of glory, mm-hmm. right? So let's take a moment and talk about the theology of glory and put a little bit more detail around that, right? Because the theology of glory is, I think it's more of the common way of looking at the theo- at, at at the cross as a as a theology of glory most people in the US i would say i would say this is one of those this is probably i don't know of any other uh faith that that is that has a theology of the cross maybe they do you know maybe you know but but i don't know of another faith that has a theology of the cross every other uh christian and uh, non-Christian faith I know of has a theology of glory. So, let's, so people should be pretty familiar. When we start talking about a theology of glory, people should be able to understand that, right? And then we, let's come back and talk. After we explain the theology of glory, let's come back and finish up our discussion on theology of the cross. So the
0: theology of the cross finds God present with his love in the midst of suffering. Because we are suffering, God yet still loves us. Theology of the glory would say you will find God where there is great things happening.
1: Well, and then there's another part of the theology of glory that says, basically, we are on a, a journey, right? There's this, and I'm going to, the sanctifying journey, where we get, we're getting better and better. You have the first moment of we're faith. We're climbing Jacob's ladder. We're, we're climbing Jacob's ladder. Things are, you know, and, and so you, you, you're, you're getting better. It's a, it's a, we're on the road to glory. Right, and, and so we've started out. Yes, we were we we're broken, sinner. We were horrible, but now we're we're getting better and better and better and better and better. And we're on Jacob's ladder. We're we're and, and where now the cross is like, okay, yeah, I did all this work to to uh, you know to to demonstrate you know what a good person I am. Right. And and when I look at the cross, well, it sort of it sort of fills in the gap between me and where I ought to be. But, you know, there's there's this where what Luther says, right, where Luther looks at that as we get better and better and better. He says, oh, no, 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 no. We're not getting better and better. And we're just outwardly better. But really what's happening is our sins are becoming more and more subtle. We're becoming more and more, you know, looking at ourselves saying, hey, I'm a good person. You know, and you know, there's this, this self-glorification
0: that's happening, right? So recently, a conversation about certainty of salvation. How do you know you're saved? And when someone asks you, how do you know you're saved? How do you answer that question? There's two common ways that this question gets answered in American theology today. One is a conversion story. Okay. And, and I once was lost, you know, described the woe is me. Yep. And things were really bad. I was, I was hitting rock bottom. And then I saw the light. And, and, you know, there's some miracle, something, some light bulb goes off. In this conversion story, there's something that awakens in my heart, a desire to know God. And now in my life, I'm heading towards glory uh, because I was lost and I was broken, but God found me. And now he's bringing me to this place of just celebration. And I'm here today as a witness, a testimony of what God's amazing grace is. Because look at what my... Uh, story was like, and now look at what it's like. I I was down. I was broken. I I was I was I was down. You know, the it, it, conversion story has to have something that really you have to come up with some reason why you're down.
1: Well, and, and it has to it has to have a, a beginning that's in the bottom of the pit, and and then here look at me today. Look how great
0: I am today, which is. You know, that's a theology of glory, right? And, and the confidence of the conversion story is God has been present in my life because look at what's happening. Yeah, look at what's there's, happening. There's, now
1: look at all this evidence, right?
0: But the odd thing is, is, you know, there's a lot of people in America who will have to come up with some conversion story to tell their friends because truthfully, all along, they've grown up in a house where Jesus' love has been told to them. They don't have some rock bottom story. So they come to some point of met marvel so that they can tell the story. But So you've got the conversion story that really leads someone towards telling a theology of glory. I was down and now I'm attractive because look at what I've accomplished. Right. And I think I I don't think the problem is so much
1: with the conversion story as it is that last sentence where now I'm attractive. Now look at where I've gotten. Now look at, you know, I have come this far, you know, and that's where, that's the theology of glory that I am on the Jacob's ladder climbing my way up and I'm about three quarters of the way, you know. I have heard, you know, where, where people say, you know, it's been three or four days since I sinned. You know, I mean, there's all these, you know, signs of the theology of glory that are just out there
0: in the, in the, And the common vernacular, right? Yeah, the focus uh, on the celebration of where I've come from and where I'm going. And it's all focused on, I know God is with me because look at what I've done.
1: Now, a theology of the cross...
0: A theology of the cross. So I ask you, Mike, how do you know you're saved? The story doesn't start with your conversion. It doesn't start with where you were. It starts where Jesus is. Right. The the theology of the
1: cross is, is, is basically saying, every day I am broken. Every day I am saved not because of anything I did but because of the love of and the work
0: of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come into this world, born of Mary, uh, he he suffered, he died and he rose again. I know I am saved because I know Jesus.
1: Right. And so it's this and it's it's an everyday and when going back to the first of the 95 theses Luther says, we live every day in repentance. And so that's an everyday revisiting of who we are, calling ourselves who we are, what we are, and calling it as it is. You know, looking at our sin and saying, hey, this is what I am. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, you know, relying. And, and now here's the thing, you know, and I'll, I'll ask you. Okay, when I, when I talk about things like this, right, the first answer, right,
0: isn't that depressing? Yeah, to talk about the way that God communicates his love to us is the cross.
1: Right. Or or, you know, I am I'm, or I'm a or I'm a sinner. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a sinner, you know, and to be able to say that and, and the answer you get back is, Oh God, my why God. do you always feel so guilty? Why do you live so down on yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, you know, as, as a, as a Lutheran, that's not the answer. I mean, it's like, well, you know, it's calling a thing what it is. I mean, this is who I am. It's, it's not like,
0: and the joy we find is actually in the work of, of somebody else. Right. Not in ourselves. And to be able to discover the revelation of God in the midst of my suffering is to be able to say God is present today. I don't have to, you know, when I as a pastor visit someone in the hospital room, it's almost at times that person is looking for God to be present once they're healed. I will know God is with me when I'm no longer in this hospital room.
1: It, and I I must, challenge... that's yeah. Unfortunately, that, and I'm sure you run into
0: that, that theology. The, I do. The that... theology of the glory comes out. In the hospital room. It does, but on the other hand, I've asked some people, you know, this is a question I'll ask sometimes. I'll visit someone. I say, well, where is God for you today? Because as a pastor and I'm visiting in the hospital room, there's only so many times I can ask, how are you? (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, how do they answer that? Well, I'm in a hospital. I've got something plugged into me. I can't go to the bathroom by myself. How am I? I'm suffering. But a question that, in fact, um, my vicarage supervisor, when I was learning how to be a pastor at school, I, I followed him to a couple uh, visits in the hospital, and I found his question wasn't the, How are you? It was, Well, where's God for you today? Okay. And okay. how they answered that, let him know as a pastor, Does this person have a theology of the cross? Or does this person have a theology of glory? And with, so, you know, if someone's in the hospital, you ask them, Where's God for you today? And if they say, you know, I felt better today. I started walking, so I know God's here. You know they've got a theology of glory because they're looking for the magnificence of God to be revealed in only the good things. Okay. Now, they,
1: now, now, what happens when they say, where's God for you today? And they say, nowhere nearby.
0: Well, then that's that's honest. That's calling a thing a thing. They cannot see God. They're not looking for some mystery. uh so that's actually, that's actually closer to a theology of the cross. is what I it. think so. I think that person is much closer to having a fear of God than the other person that has been able to ma- manipulate their understanding of God to think God is present only in the good. The person who says, I don't know, I have a much easier time in pastoral care with that person who says, I don't know, versus the person who has certainty in their own good works. Okay, okay. The, uh, uh, we have
1: a theology of glory, right? And good, evil, and evil, good. He he's attacking both a way of logic and a way of good works, right? I mean, he's he's going after the will and 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 works, right? Those are those are two different categories that you know that Luther's really tackling. You know, when when Luther says that uh, a theology of glory uh, is calling evil good or good evil, what, what's what's he saying there? He's he's saying that that sort of flipping. Of, of you know, that where my, my works, you know, it's my works are good. Is that, is that? So
0: a theology, a theologian of glory calls evil good. What is the evil there that they're calling good? Exactly. And the evil there is the human mind and will to do things of my own accord and, and to think that I can accomplish something of my own. So the evil thing Martin Luther is calling evil is so shocking to people, I think. But he's actually calling evil the vanity of someone who thinks that they're doing a good thing that that's evil so mike if if you go and, and you say you know did you do a good job today mike and, and... Let, let's say okay let's say after this i, I hop out in my car and I, I go and feed you know feed the poor right yeah, and, and you celebrate what a good thing you did yeah yeah and, and that's evil uh, okay Okay. And this is so paradoxical. Right. This is the paradox that Luther's creating inside the Heidelberg Disputation. is the vanity of someone who, when they do a good work, thinks that they have gotten closer to God. They're on a glory story. Gerhard Forty tells that you've got two stories, the glory story and, the, and then the story of the cross, the suffering story. And the glory story is celebrating my story where I'm doing good things. Okay. okay. And, and so that that's evil.
1: Right. Oh, but okay. a theologian of glory would call that good. Right, right. This is this confirmation of what a good guy I am. You know, here, let's let's take a look. So so that's and now now when when we um, when when we have a theologian of the cross
0: and calling a thing ex- actually what it is. OK, so now let's go back to you feeding a bunch of people. And I just said that was an evil thing. Right. And now, a theologian of the cross calls that what it is. You just fed a bunch of people. I just I, something I did. Yep. Yeah, and that's calling a thing a thing is let let's say what it is. You, you you did help people, but did you in any way help your relationship with God? No, no. So let's just put it inside the boundary of what it really is. You helped some people w- who were hungry, and, and and even Jesus, you know, he talks about you know I was hungry and you fed me, you clothed me uh, when I was naked. I mean, there are things that we do that are good things in terms of care for our neighbor. For Martin Luther, the question is, do they accelerate our relationship with God? No,
1: so so it's really it's it's basically the the question is in a theology of the cross. You call a thing what it is. This is just okay. Christ did this work for me. He saved me. I'm going and doing this in response to him, but it's just something I do, right? And and it's it, this is just some you know something somebody I help out because of the help that's been given
0: to me already. And it almost looks like Martin Luther is attacking good works. Right. Um, And And
1: that's actually one of the big problems that Lutherans have, right? We're always
0: facing attacks that we don't care about good works. We don't care about sanctification. We're always talking about justification. I I remember talking with some Baptist friends and they were so confused by Lutherans because we talked all the time about justification. And when were we ever going to get around to talking about what good works people are supposed to be doing? Now, and that gets into every day is a revisiting
1: of our justification. Now, yeah, so every day in the theology of the cross, what Lutherans do, what Luther is saying in the theology of the cross, is every day we revisit our justification. Every minute we we're, revisit our justification. We're always looking
0: again at our condition before God,
1: and, and and there is a joy that comes from that, not in ourselves, but in the work of of the other of Christ, who is like, hey, you know, we, we he did this for us now. I'll share, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do some good things for others, but not in order to, for any benefit for myself. It's just a small reflection, I'll call it, of the good work that's been done for me, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, that's, that's sort of, so that's the theology of the cross versus the theology. So we're always
0: looking at our condition and realizing that we are in need of forgiveness of sins and that we are the sinners that we are in no way are attractive to God through our own good works. Anything that I do doesn't make me any more attractive. I am always a lost and condemned sinner, and that the only way that I'm loved by God is purely through His grace. Now, as pastors out there, I think there's a responsibility to discuss sin as what it actually is. No matter how unpopular it is, we need to be honest about sin, because as we get into this uh, conversation of hyper-grace, grace, 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 it's it's so much about the love of Christ there's almost this dismissing that's well you know that sin doesn't matter anymore because we're loved by Jesus and there is in the conversation of law and gospel a need to be fearful of God i remember when uh, first teaching the catechism as martin luther's talking about the commandments he said well, you know we should fear love and trust in God above all things that that fear just sounded so wrong on my tongue i didn't want to talk at all about why we should fear God Um, because I wanted Jesus to be our friend. He's the one that loves us. He's the one that cares for us. He's the one that's filled with grace. I didn't know how to talk about the fear of God. And something that Luther does at the Heidelberg Disputation is he still makes it possible to talk about the fear of God, because we need to be honest about sin. Sin is bad. It's dangerous. And we need to be aware that the God that saved us on the cross is the very God that has the power to destroy us for everlasting. Now one of the things that you touched on there was the importance of language, right? And, and,
1: call, and what Luther touched on actually, calling a thing what it is. And and one of the big struggles with today that Forde brings up is is the idea that our language has slipped, right? That that we we no longer have a language of sin in in our in our you know, vocabulary. We no longer have. So it's, it's almost like, um, we, we can't really. There's, there's like the whole side of the discussion. There's law and there's, there's grace. You mentioned the, the law, the, the, the law gospel distinction, right? And, and, you know, we'll get into the law gospel distinction. That's a huge part of Lutheran theology. But basically, I'm going to, just to, Sketch it out. The Bible basically has two words in it. it right, uh, almost every page has uh, has some law where it's where God is telling us things we ought to do, and it has some gospel which says that God's going to cover it for us. And, and so there's this. There, it's on every page of the Bible is are these two words that these two these two strands, and this, Luther calls it the law gospel distinction, or Lutherans call it the law gospel distinction. And, and so. So, in in modern Christianity, the the whole half of that discussion, uh, the the discussion on the law, seems to have sort of evaporated into just good feelings on about the gospel,
0: right? And that's why one of the reasons Forty says he wants to write on being a theologian of the cross and look at the Heidelberg Disputation is because he's tired of of victim language and of the the language of. Theology only being about rescue. Well, and this gets into what Forde
1: says is that basically now that the now that the language of the law has disappeared, right? That's that's gone, mm-hmm. and so what what's what's left is this. You know, why are we suffering? What's going wrong? What's happening? It's meaninglessness that's attacking us. It's you know, uh, uh, you know, and, and so there's there's no person personal accountability. There's no you know, so there's like this. This whole, you know, by by losing the language of the law, right, Mm -hmm. now people are just plain victims. Yeah.
0: So, Forty says, to take a common example, we apparently are no longer sinners, but rather victims oppressed by sinister victimizers whom we relentlessly seek to track down and accuse. Of course, there are indeed victims and victimizers in our culture, all too many of them, but the kind of collective paranoia that allows us to become preoccupied with such a picture of our plight cannot help but nudge the language just enough to cause it to slip and fall out of place. The slippage is often very slight and subtle and hardly noticeable. This is what makes it so deceptive. We no longer live in a guilt culture, but have been thrown into meaninglessness, so we are told. Then the language slips out of place. Guilt becomes blame on us as sinners. But who's responsible for meaninglessness? Surely not we. Sin if it enters our consciousness at all, is generally something they did to us.
1: Right. And so so what what I took out of that was that like this the, the by losing the, the language of the law, all of a sudden, sin is coming from not us somebody else somebody else's fault and there's a blame call oh, he's the sinner you know he's the bad guy and and you know now I'm just playing a victim now like four day says there are real victims in the world and I don't want to lose fact of that but the uh, lose sight of that fact but the the the, 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 the you know at, from in a theology of the cross there is a recognition of our sinfulness and that is a huge part uh, And it's a very unpopular thing to say in today's day
0: and age. And so part of this then looks at where does God choose to, to do battle and bring glory? And if we look at this victim culture, then God chooses to do battle by destroying whoever caused me harm. And then there becomes this two-side, me on the side of glory and those on the side of losers. Okay.
1: And then in a, in a, a theology of the cross, how, where does God Well, instead
0: of having me glorious and other people losers, we find Christ becoming the loser with us. and And so God does battle with sin at the cross. And not just a generic sin, but a disobedience of the will of God. Where on the cross. We find Christ completely obedient to the will of God to love us and care for us. And we find the world on display um, fighting this Our- Ourselves sacrifice. on that side, right? Yeah, and, we find ourselves on the side of resisting this. We find ourselves with Peter, uh, you know, with the sword in the garden. We find ourselves, like Mark, running away naked and afraid. We find ourselves on the side of the apostles. Oh, yeah,
1: you, got, you got Judas, who betrayed him. You got Peter, who denied him. And you have the rest of the apostles, who just sort of for,
0: ran for the hills right so and then so and gotten,
1: we're, we're somewhere we're in one of those three <laughs> i mean
0: there we are right and then we got mary the mother of our lord and and john the beloved disciple they're just taking it all in and, yeah. and maybe that's a little bit more where in the end of the story we we are yeah. yeah we're with mary and the beloved disciple trying to just take it all in and from there we hear jesus say to mary uh, here is your son and to john here is your mother and we find there that on the cross is not this thing we want to hide away from suffering not this thing we want to hide away from sin not this thing that we want to hide away from death but in fact in suffering sin and death we find our savior
1: and 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 and, that, and, and in that suffering sin and death he reaches out to us and he tells us he's he helps heal us he helps you know work through our issues i mean he you know mary mary now has nobody i mean her husband uh, uh, we believe is gone you know mm-hmm. she, and and her oldest son is dead or dying and and she needs someone to take care of her right and so and then john you know he, you you do this you, you know uh, uh, there is a caring from the cross there's from a... the cross right i mean yeah. of all places there's there is there is a care and love from the cross that's happening in that moment. So right? in a the
0: theology of the cross, what's put to death is the vanity that in this life we can get back into a relationship with God, because we find the very one who is the most obedient to the will of God dying. Right. And so where will you find the glory of God in this life? You will find it in dying. You will find it in dying to the this life as your way to God. The theologian of the glory will always seek on the path of this life a way to get closer to God. And a theologian of the cross will always see in this life, dead end. I am a sinner, lost and condemned. My only way back to God is that God came to me. And the only joy I have is in him. Yeah. Right. And so a theologian of the cross looks at Christ on the cross and says, God has come to me. And, and that he has shown that my life and the life as perfect as I could live it will always in this life still lead to death. Because what happened to Jesus? He died. What happens to the one that lived most obedient to the will of God? He died. So if I ever imagine that in my obedience to the will of God, I can escape death, look to what happened to Jesus. He died. Right, right. So so I I, I, I can totally
1: understand why people listening to this, right, to the theology of the cross in today's day and age. It sounds dark, doesn't it? It does. It does. It sounds dark. And that's why I keep coming back to, you know, there
0: is joy in all this, but not in ourselves. And the joy is the freedom and, and the release from the the vanity of walking in this life, trying to find the glory of God. I am freed from that empty walk. No longer is my life filled on some path towards understanding, but rather it's saying there is no understanding I will find in this life in my own steps. It is entirely found in the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One last
1: point on all of this before we sign off. Uh, we, there is a, a y- you can overstep all this, right? You can go to anti- what, what Luther called antinomianism, right? Where, where all of a sudden, you know, now good works don't matter. Now sin doesn't matter. Now it's all covered by Jesus, right? And we can yeah. go and party, party, party. And well, they're... Mike,
0: you heard me say that in the theology of the cross, I find that in my steps in this life, I will never find my path to God it is put to death on the cross. So then the answer is, well, what do your steps matter? Where, why walk at all? Right, right. And so this is, and, and
1: Luther actually, this was a, a, a in, in his mind in 1518, we're talking about 1518 right now, totally could not imagine anybody going there. You have to sort of think about the, the era 1518, this is a very, like, you know, well, you have to go, you know, climb up the the steps uh, on your knees, uh, you know, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and uh, uh, this extreme uh, works righteousness, and, and Luther can't imagine somebody saying that, ah, it's all taken care of, I can, you know, do what I want,
0: so... So So when we want to get Luther looking at antinomianism, we're not going to find it in 1518. No, and that's my point. And so when Luther in 1518 is attacking the vanity of good works that's present inside of scholastic theology, we see that in the Heidelberg Disputation. He's attacking that vanity. Now later, when he is working against the Radical Reformation, when he is working um, in the 1530s against those movements that have also, along with him, left uh, living under the authority of the Pope. There, he's being attacked in 1518 on one side. Later in the 1530s, he's being attacked on the other side. And we'll we'll see Luther indeed lift up good works. But I wanted to make sure, because antinomianism is a, is a real
1: and present danger today, so before we left this discussion, I want to just bring it up and say it's out there. And and you know we need to sort of keep that in the back of our minds that there is such a thing as antinomianism and that is something else that Lutherans Luther and Lutherans do battle with every day.
0: It, it is you know there is some controversy in the church today about how to handle someone who has sinned and, and they've been discovered in their sin. They certainly have the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. How do they live with the consequences of their their evil deeds? The hyper grace there, there's some interesting conversations about this and some buzzwords th- that i've touched on that well it could be a whole nother podcast
1: and, and it will be because luther actually touched on a lot of these same issues the same issues that are front and center today he was dealing with in the 1500s and we're
0: going to be talking about them sometime down the road that's all i've got how about you evan this has been a great conversation on the theology of the cross if you want to know more gerhard forty 's book on being a theologian of the cross it's it's a simple book it, it is uh just a few hundred pages. It's not a big... I don't big, think it's that much. Uh, it might not even be that much. Then another book that's pretty good. Now, if you want to get thicker is Luther's Theology of the Cross by Walther von Leyenweig. Leven, oh, My German pronunciation after this second beer is not so good. But <laughs> it should... You know, I was thinking my German pronunciation should get better with this beer, but it isn't. <laughs> but so there's, there's great books out there. Uh... I think that you will find confidence in your language about sin and grace more concrete as you look at the Heidelberg Disputation. And and you'll have the ability to be able to talk about people about the role of suffering. In relationship to God,
1: and I'll tell you, you know, for me, the Heidelberg Disputation really draws a line around Lutheran theology as opposed to all other theologies. A, a, a deep study in the Heidelberg the, uh, Disputation really does open the doors, and I, I don't think it gets enough attention in, in Lutheran circles. It's a great, great document. So, really enjoyed this one.
0: So, as we're signing off, I want to say thanks to Christy and her ability to care for. Uh, my family and and me and support me as my wonderful wife. I want to say thanks to Josh, our sound guy, Uh, Maria, my wife, who does an awful
1: lot of work for me and and pulling together the documentation here. I also want to say thanks to the
0: the folks at St. Paul Lutheran Church. uh, uh, for all their support in Hamburg, Michigan. If the things we talked about today brought up any ideas you want to share about, if you've got corrections, I think probably every episode we realize there's some corrections as we're done recording, and we wish we could go back and erase some spots and correct our words, uh, You could feel free to start a conversation with us at graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. And you can also check us out at
1: graceontap, all one word, com. That's all we got. Well, thank you everybody. Have a have a great day.